This is what they felt like when it happened. And today, it's how we should feel too. Because what it meant for them, it means for us.
Shines for all to see. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory. All praise.
Till I Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verses 17 through 21. You know this passage probably by heart, many of you. <clears throat> but we're going to talk about the meaning of Easter this morning. And I have been struggling all week long with sinus stuff and chest and everything. So I have my throat lozenger already set right here. 
and I've got my Kleenex in my pocket, so we're all set to go. Hopefully I will not have to make any ugly sounds during the message. <coughs> but you'll have to pardon me. I don't, I don't have a cough button up here either, so I, I can't, uh, you know. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, starting down in verse 17. You know this verse. It's a wonderful, wonderful verse. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God. We just sang that. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, not reckoning them, not counting them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wonderful definition, really, of what Easter is is all about. And uh, actually, the whole of Scripture can be summed up in one word, Jesus. Uh, all of the Old Testament points to one person, Jesus, and the New Testament is about Jesus. And so it's all about Jesus. And Jesus really could be summed up in one word, and that is reconciliation, because that's what Jesus is. He's reconciled us back to the, to the Father. The, uh, the Bible contains history, but it's not a history book. It contains science, but it's not a science book. It contains geography, but it's not a geography book. Uh, it, it was not written to give us the intricate details of how humans were created or how the planets orbit or what black holes are or how economies should function. It has a lot of things in there that would help us understand that. But the word was written to show us who Jesus is, why he came, and what he did for us. And it's all about reconciliation. And it's that wonderful verse 19 to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Is that amazing? Not counting, not reckoning. I like what the Amplified Bible says there. Not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them. How unlike God are we? <laughs> That's all we do is, is reckon each other's trespasses against each other. That's all we do. But he does, just think of how he could reckon against us. But he didn't. He didn't. Now, we all know the backstory of this whole thing. God wanted a being like himself that he could fellowship with. He, he didn't want another angel. He didn't want another cre heavenly creature. He wanted someone who was creative, thinking, reasoning. He wanted someone who could love. So he created Adam and Eve, and uh, that, of course, they were the pinnacle of his creation. He made the, uh, uh, made the same physical stuff out of, as, as he did out of the animals. We're all dust of the earth. But with Adam and Eve, he put his spirit in them. So we know that humans are not animals. We're different. Uh, and so we are a divine, special creation of God. And then, of course, we all know the result of that wonderful thing that happened in the garden. We blew the greatest deal in history. Not just Eve, Adam did too. We blew it, we messed up, 
and we lost that relationship with God. So God had to set about reconciling or bringing humanity back to fellowship with himself. And that's an amazing thought too. Because if I were God, now you always know when I start a sentence with if I were God, bad things are going to happen. If I were God and that was that, that creation like that and I gave them everything that they needed and they turned on me, I would have just erased the whole board and said, let's start all over. But not God. God has a plan. And so he, he set in motion a plan to bear in himself the responsibility of reconciling a disobedient people back to himself. So to reconcile, of course, means to settle an account. It means to reunite. reunite. It means to harmonize. And this reconciliation was done on the cross of Calvary by the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the good news. The good news is that God has restored the breach. He has opened the door. He's drawn us back into his presence. The gospel is God in grace restoring humanity back to himself by the blood of Jesus. Easter and Christmas are celebrations of the gospel. These things are not about trees and tinsel and snow and family and eggs and bunnies and springtime and all that kind of stuff. The gospel is not a list of rules and regulations. The gospel is not a standard of living. The gospel is not a compendium of statutes. The gospel is not church doctrine. The gospel is not even a structure of right and wrong things to do necessarily. It's not how much you read the Bible. It's not how much you pray. It's not how much you go to church. It's not how much you tithe. We'll get back to those things in a few moments. But the gospel is a reconciled relationship with the creator. That's the gospel. We have two things that every religion on earth wants, every human wants. We, want, we have a reconciliation with a supreme being and we have a relationship with that supreme being. That's what the gospel is. The good news that I can now be in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's good news. That's the gospel. So we're going to look at some elements to this this morning. But as an aside, just, just so some of you don't misunderstand, uh, back to the conduct and rules, out of the reconciliation flows relationship and conduct, doesn't it? It's in a relationship that we find the rules and regulations, the right and the wrong, uh, if you're married, for instance, in my marriage, I have, uh, I have rules and regulations in my marriage. Boy, do I have rules and regulations in my marriage. Did I just say that out loud? She's in the other room. She won't hear. It's on tape. That's true. But, but the, these rules and regulations are based on relationship first. They're based on a covenant between two people. So it's based on, uh, based on a relationship between my wife and I. So we have to understand that the gospel of Jesus is a relationship first and foremost. It's not a thing. It's not a, a religion. It's not a book. It's not a place. It, it's a relationship. And I've said this to you before. The gospel began in Jerusalem as a relationship, Jesus and, the, and, and people. In Greece, it became an idea. In Rome, it became an institution. And in the United States, it's become an enterprise. And that's sort of where we're at right now with the gospel. So never forget what the gospel is. It is a person, God, coming into harmony with a people, reconciling them to himself by his grace. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what Easter is all about. That's what Easter is all about. So we're going to look at four uh, particular things. We're going to see first the provider of reconciliation, then the person 
then the process, and then the people. The provider, the person, the process, and the people of reconciliation. First of all, notice the provider of this reconciliation, uh, and he talks about it in verses 17 and 18, all things are of God, and everything that God did in Christ. We see the person of the provider of, of the reconciliation is God, having predestined us to the adoption of sons, Paul says to the Ephesians, according to the good pleasure of his will. I like what he says to the Philippians. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure, not ours. James, the first chapter, James says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. In Luke 12, Jesus made an incredible statement. He looked at the the disciples and he said, Fear not, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow, it's the Father's good pleasure. You didn't do anything to get it. It's the Father's good pleasure. That's an amazing and astounding thing. It was so amazing that Peter, you could just see him looking around at everybody, and he said, wait a minute, Jesus, are you saying this for us or for everybody? (laughs) Are you saying it just for your disciples? Are, Are you saying it for the Pharisees over there? Are you saying it for that prostitute that's over there? Are you saying it for that rich tax collector that's been extorting people over? Wait a minute. This kingdom is for everybody? But, but you know, Jesus, the Pharisees say, or the Sadducees say, or the scribes say, or the law says, folks, Jesus made it very clear for everyone, this gospel is for everyone, not just the high and noble, not just the wealthy, not just the poor. People always think the gospel is just for the poor. No, the gospel is for everybody, not just the downtrodden, but everybody. And think of this provider. It's so wonderful. He is not a financial institution. He's not a church organization. He didn't have to pass through any committees. Oh, hallelujah. He's not a government. He's not a denomination. The provider of this reconciliation is God and God alone. And I'm so glad that the word says in him there is neither variableness nor shadow of turning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He could save somebody in 2 AD, and he could save somebody in 100 AD, and he could save everybody right now in 2022 AD. The power is still there. He is still the provider of reconciliation through the blood of Jesus. Always always. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what color your skin is, doesn't matter. Your educational background doesn't matter. He has provided for you. So that's first of all the provider. Then he, he, Paul gives us the person of reconciliation and that is Jesus who knew no sin. Those again, three incredible words that none of us can ever understand because we're steeped in sin. That's all we know is sin. <clears throat> He knew no sin. And in these three words, we gain the full impact of his character. He was totally human, yet knew no sin. (laughs) Uh, I've said this before. I often think of all of you carpenters and mechanics and things out there. Jesus doing what he did as a carpenter, right? He didn't, I don't think they had craftsmen back then, did they? Craftsman power tools? No, they didn't have those. I don't, I don't think, I know we have, we have a little trouble with our lumber right now, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't working with even nasty two-by-fours from Home Depot. 
they, they were, that was rough wood. It was splinters. And, and can you imagine in that hot sun working with those ancient tools, pounding out stuff, getting splinters, stubbing his finger or his toe, yet not once did he allow even the germinal seed of a swear word to enter his heart. Wow. As soon as it did, it was immediately captured. Wow. No sin. That's so hard for us to understand. How many are glad we don't have to understand it? Jesus did it for us. Hallelujah. So, amazing. Our reconcile, reconciler, Jesus, is pure. When he was at his baptism, behold the Lamb of God, the innocent, pure Lamb of God, uh, uh, John the Baptist said. And then we see that he's powerful. There was a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I well please. Do what he says. The dove came and rested on him. You know, if you're standing in a crowd, and all of a sudden a voice booms out, and everybody hears the same voice and points at a certain person, it's probably a good thing to listen. Did you hear that? Did you hear that voice? Yeah, I did. Ooh. Okay, powerful. But he's obedient as well. Even though he had all that power and authority, he's obedient. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Adam and Eve walked in innocence with God until they tried to obtain what God did not want them to have. Listen, folks, if God doesn't want you to have it, then don't try and get it. Believe me, it's not worth it. I was, when I was subbing this past week, uh, one of the young ladies, they're mostly around 11, 12, 13-year-olds, and one of the young ladies said, Mr. B, if you, could, if you could date somebody, who would it be? Would it be either be Cardi B or some other name I don't know <laughs> and really don't care to know? And I said, well, it would depend on which one my wife let me date. <laughs> and she, she said, no, no, I mean, if you weren't married. I said, well, to be honest with you, the one name that I do know and the other one is probably the same. I think they're both spoiled brats and I don't want either of them. She looked at me. (laughs) We're smart enough, aren't we, to know that there are some things that we really don't need to want. Did you hear that sentence? That we don't need to want. (laughs) I want everything, but I really don't need to want that. It just gets us in trouble. So I've always said, if the world promises you everything, don't take it. If God offers you nothing, take it. Because I'd rather have nothing with God than everything without him. Jesus knew that as the person of reconciliation. Jesus maintained his pure innocence with the Father. And he did everything with the same zeal. The things which were enjoyable. The things which are difficult. He healed the sick. He set people free. Yes, that's wonderful. But then he also said, drive the spikes. Wow. What a lesson for us. Not my will, but thine be done. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. That's the good part. But also the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable under his death. So that's, that's the person. So God is the provider. Jesus is the person. But notice the process. And this is the other most amazing thing. The process of reconciliation. The word says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Wow, he became sin for us. Now, that does not mean that he became a thief or a liar or a deviant in some way, for then he'd no longer be the pure sacrifice. He had to be pure, but yet he had to take on himself all that sin. And I believe our understanding comes from Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, verse 6, 
And, and the word says, the prophet Isaiah said, the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That, that is literally in the Hebrew, the, the sin of the universe landed on top of him. Like taking a skid full of blocks and dropping them from 50 feet. It just plowed right onto him. All of God's wrath for all sin, for all time, had to be deposited somewhere. If God poured out his wrath on the earth, the universe would have been burned to a cinder immediately. Jesus was the buffer, the receptacle for that wrath. All the wrath of God for every act of sin, for every human being, for all time, landed on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The greatest agony of Jesus, I don't believe, really happened on Calvary. I believe it was probably in the garden when he began to feel the weight of the wrath of God on him. And that's why, that's why he sweat drops of blood as he prayed. That's why he said, Father, let this cup, mm, but no, it can't. He was bearing the burden for every sin, for every sinner, throughout all of time, past, present, and future. There it was. Every sin we will yet commit has already been taken care of by Jesus on the cross. He bore it. What a reconciliation. What a savior we have this morning that has already taken care of everything we would ever need, every problem we'd ever face, every difficulty we've ever had, already taken care of, already done. That's the, that's the person. That's the person. That's the king that we serve. One last point, and that is the people of reconciliation. He who knew no sin became for sin for us. And, you know, let's face it. It would be pretty awesome if it stopped right there. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Wow, that's cool. That is really amazing. But then he adds that last phrase, that we might become the righteousness of God. That we look at the person next to you and say, us? <laughs> we. We might become the righteousness of God. Wow. God imputed, assigned, attributed my sin to Jesus. And then he, in verse 19, deposited on me his righteousness and his word of reconciliation. The wrath landed on Jesus and mercy and grace landed on me. He was delivered for our offenses and we are now raised for our justification. He was given to the enemy and now the enemy is under our feet. Jesus was delivered himself to Satan and now we are triumphant over the devil in every way. He was openly betrayed and we are now securely vindicated. Every time I commit an offense, he comes to my defense. Every time I fall with tender hand, he lifts me again. Every time I lapse into foolishness, his wisdom brings recovery. Every time I deviate from the truth, he leads me back to right standing. At the cross, Jehovah Tsitkanu became my righteousness. At the cross, Jehovah Nisi became a banner of victory over me. At the cross, Jehovah Rapha became my healer. At the cross, Jehovah Shalom became my peace. At the cross, Jehovah El Shaddai became my constant provider. He was condemned 
threatened in the flesh, and now I'm glorified in the spirit. The wrath rested on him, and now his joy fills my heart. He was debased, and now I'm exalted. He became poor, and through his poverty, I now become rich. He submitted himself to bondage, and now I am free. He became the curse, and now I have the sure blessings of Abraham in my life. He suffered the curse of the law. Now I thrive under his grace. He carried my sin, and now I display his glory. He destroyed the works of the devil, and now I share in his victory. Hallelujah. I have not met him, yet I love him. I have not seen him, yet I feel he's closer than a brother. I have not touched him, yet I feel him inside me. I have not sat and talked with him, yet I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth, and after worms have destroyed this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Hallelujah. That's reconciliation. You're you're looking at a man this morning who owns the whole universe because because of Jesus. Jesus got it back for me. I lost it in my great, 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 great ancestor named Adam and Eve. I lost it all. And Jesus came and brought it back. He purchased the pearl of great price, me, by giving up everything he had. If you want to see the most powerful person on earth, don't go to the White House, don't go to the Kremlin, don't go to London. This, the most powerful person on earth is that dear old saint on her knees before the Lord interceding. Hallelujah. You, you, the White House will come and go. The Kremlin will come and go. But he who does the will of God will abide and remain forever, the word says. You want to see the rich person in the world. It's not in Forbes magazine. I've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. And all of this happened so we might become what we ought to be, and that is the sons and daughters of the Most High. That's Easter. Elon Musk is trying to buy Twitter. God bless him. He's raising it higher and higher. And you know what's going to happen? He's a good businessman. He knows what he's doing probably. After he spends all his money, he'll get Twitter. And you know what he'll have after he gets Twitter? Twitter. (laughs) Do you know what I'm going to have 10 million years from now? I'm going to have Jesus. I'm going to have the whole universe. (laughs) I'm going to have an open door to wherever I want to go, whatever I want to do. I'll blink my eye. I'll be there. I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I will, right now, I have and I will forever own the entire universe. So our provider is God. The person is the spotless lamb. The process is taking our sin. And the result is he makes us people of reconciliation. He says, now now that you've done this, you are ambassadors, verse 20, of Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The world needs to hear this reconciliation, and it comes through us. He's made us ambassadors. We talked about this before. Being an ambassador, being the the, the person of reconciliation does not mean that you have to go back to Bible school and get a degree, although Pastor Ron is finishing his, hallelujah, master's degree in divinity. When he's done, he's going to be the most divine person here. He's not yet, but in like another month. 
He's given us this to reconcile. Reconcile a lost world. And they need to hear what we have in Jesus, don't they? They need to hear it. They need to meet this provider. And we could bring it to them. Hallelujah. Let's just bow our heads. (coughs) Pastor Steve, if we could just sing that worthy of it all, worthy of it all again. Father, we just thank you so much. Horrible mess it would be. It would just be another religion. It would be another Islam. It would be another Buddhism. It would be another Hinduism. It would be another ism. We'd just create some cockamamie plan on how to get ourselves out of the mess we put ourselves into. We'd just be trying to claw our way out of a bottomless pit, never making it to the top. But we're so glad that ages ago, you already planned that you were going to reach down into that pit and take us by our hand and pull us out. I know some people in this place have been in pits that are very deep. Some people in this place should not even be alive today. Sin should have killed them years ago, but they're still here because of you. So I thank you for that, Father. There may be others in here that don't know you yet, and they're in their pit. The walls are caving in around them. And they're wondering, what kind of provider could get me out of this? And they're looking everywhere, but there is no provider other than Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to believe that you're smart enough to put your trust in Jesus and to call on him, the one who is worthy of it all because of what he did for each of us. I thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace and your reconciling power that you did in all of us and that you are yet going to complete because your word says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for his people. <laughs> Hallelujah. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together.